everyone to the Rogue Retro Smackdown review. I am Scott McLeod, welcoming you to our review of No Mercy. No, not the N64 game. We're talking about the No Mercy 1999 pay-per-view uh, as part of our Rogue Retro Smackdown review. We hope you enjoyed the return of uh, the show last week with the Go Home episode. And uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, my guest last week because he's back again this week to help me show no mercy on this review <laughs> uh, yeah I'm afraid I'm back whether you like it or not <laughs> and, and how have you been in the whole week it's been since we last talked um, Scott nudge nudge wink wink oh it has been a tough week without hearing your sultry tone Scar. I mean <laughs> lockdown is a very difficult time for all of us <laughs> it's, uh, it's not ideal no, but I think that's why, as I mentioned before, it's why we say to bring back the Rogue Retro Smackdown review because, well, one, it's to help give people some extra entertainment during these rough times, and two, recording and editing these things helps me forget about the the numbingly tedious boredom that I'm going through on a daily basis. So, yeah. my uh, my poor PlayStation Four probably doesn't know what's happened to it this this last few weeks. Uh, but a weird thing about No Mercy here in '99 is. Uh, this is actually the second time in the space of a year that they've used the No Mercy name. Where, cause in March, I think it may have been, or April, they did a version of No Mercy in the UK as one of like, the UK exclusive pay-per-views. Uh, thankfully, we're not talking about that version of No Mercy. But it's, it's very rare for WWE to use the same pay-per-view name in the same calendar year. Like, the only other time I think they've done it is when they did two versions of Roadblock in 2016. Yeah, it is uncharacteristic of WWE. Perhaps they thought or hoped because it was used in the UK. It didn't really count, and most of the American audience wouldn't know or uh, remember. Yeah, who knows? Uh, like I said, actually, I really enjoy No Mercy as a pay-per-view concept because I have fond memories of No Mercy as a pay-per-view when I was younger, Like because uh, it continued on through the regression era, and then in 2016 they brought it back after the brand split and I remember when they announced uh, No Mercy was coming back I was very happy because I've, like I said I have fond memories uh, No Mercy as a pay-per-view Yeah they've had some good papers used called No Mercy and oh, it's a better name than some of the ones they've used today like uh, Great Balls of Fire and uh, <laughs> Stomping Grounds I don't know why they retire some pay-per-views because they're only names at the end of the day and then bring these ill-conceived pay-per-view names in yes i mean why not stick with no mercy it's a pretty cool sounding uh title for a pay-per-view to, to me one thing i don't miss though about this is uh pay-per-views like this is that you say oh in the weekly not to in a future like oh I'll be showing you no mercy this Sunday, or there'll be no forgiveness. <laughs> like in the case of like, yeah, they, no they, did have, they did have to do those tropes every time. Yeah, I must, I must admit, <laughs> and it was always a bit forced. But I like about that is like they only did it for some reason, not others. Like ah, uh, we don't know who will survive at this year's Survivor Series. <laughs> Yeah, we, did, we didn't. We didn't get. I'm going to stomp you into oblivion. The stomping <laughs> grounds, did we? So, uh, or I'm going to set your balls on fire for great balls of fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is No Mercy 1999. 
from October 17, 1999 at Lagunda Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I don't think I need a preference about how hot the crowd was because uh, as most shows at this period kind of were. Uh, the opening promo, though, I was kind of sad. No uh, no classy Freddie Blassie this time around. They always like to drag him out for a, for like a hype package at the start of a promo, but it was a very apocalyptic-looking promo at the start of this show. Yeah, I always liked these. They did them. They did them well uh, um, uh, in this era. The as you say, these like almost like post-apocalyptic sort of uh, pre-pay-per-view packages. Is that a good way of putting it? Um, yeah, as I said, I must admit, yeah, Freddie Blassie did sort of add a bit of a gravitas to them when he did them, and um, yeah, I thought they. They always, I don't know, they just set the tone for the, for the shows, didn't they? I, I always enjoyed these. Yeah, usually they they sent around a couple of the different like the main matches on the show, but a lot of the video package is specifically about the main event, is about Austin versus Triple H. And we opened the show, obviously, lots of fire. Not really, not a very distinctive looking like set. Like, it's, no, it's no backlash where you have like the the hoops are that it's not it's a very like standard looking set i'm wondering if the name no mercy which is we use here is maybe because this is probably around the time i mentioned the, uh, the n64 game was coming out so maybe that's why they say to bring it back yeah possibly i'm not too sure but yeah the, there isn't much you can much dressing you can do for a set with a, a title for no mercy i suppose that is one one drawback of it mm-hmm. uh jr and the king our, our commentary team is usually as most attitude our pay-per-views. Uh, Howard Finkel is the ring announcer uh, with zero mention of the angle that happened on SmackDown where he's now apparently the property of Mr. Hughes, but I think it's for the best. Yeah, it seems to have either been forgotten about already or he's, Mr. Hughes is just letting him do his normal job. <laughs> I mean, it is the better like environment for uh, Howard. Don't have him in these like, silly angles. Just let him do what he does best. Yeah, God bless his soul. Howard Finkel, as I, as I said, um, on a, in a God honest week ago, uh, on the last pod, that he probably is the best ring announcer of all time. Certainly, the, the ring announcer of my childhood. Yeah, uh, I, I usually I sometimes think when I do these interviews, should I also watch Sunday uh, Heat? And they realise, God, no, there's already so much wrestling I need to watch. So. <laughs> Don't give it to yourself. But before Smack, before sorry to you off, before SmackDown, Heat was actually uh, a decent put together show. But as soon as they started um, airing SmackDown, Heat sort of became uh, a bit of a forgotten stepchild, as you will, as you will. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but this, the reason I mentioned Heat is because they referenced what happened on the Sunday Heat before this show. Basically, it was the equivalent of the uh, the kickoff shows nowadays. Uh, apparently, it was a very eventful episode of Heat because the uh, the opening match was actually not made until Sunday Night Heat, which is the Godfather and the rematch we've all been waiting for as uh, he's taking on Midian as he wants revenge for what happened on SmackDown. Apparently, he was seen coming out of Vince's office apparently asking for this match. But what I'm curious about is, surely Visser is the one he wants revenge on because it was Visser that splashed him after the match. Yeah, I thought that. I thought it was going to be uh, Godfather versus Visser. And, yeah, you can imagine... Uh, my absolute glee when <laughs> I saw what the opening match was and I didn't curse and think to myself, 
what as hell has Scott talked me into? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is fair to say, as much as I love the Godfather, it just goes to show it's not exactly him that's over at the moment because uh, he comes out by himself. Uh, so it gets initial cheer and then suddenly some boosts it and before he then points to the entranceway and out come the hose and then there's cheers again. So, like, Godfather without the hose is not as over as Godfather with no. the hose. Is this the first time he did this? Because it, it did become a bit of a trope of his to to come out um, without the hose and and then wait for a few boos before bringing them out again. It always seems a bit of a bit of a strange one because it sort of showed that he's only really over when he's out with the uh, the women. Yeah, I think it was a trope he would use a couple of times. I do agree with you. It does kind of expose the gimmick in that what is actually what is about him that's actually over and it's not really himself. Uh, I do like the Godfather gets on the on the microphone goes, well clearly you don't want any hose and I ain't got no farm animals so I'm just going to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and well it's pretty much the same kind of match you'd expect. Brister uh, again is getting involved. He's really he's standing very close to the hose but the hose don't really do anything and still all implies that uh, the hose are sucking Brister's gravitational so <laughs> That was quite funny, actually. But um, yeah, I, I don't know why I was sitting so close to the to the hose. It's a bit bit strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, Viscera does attack the Godfather and cause a bit of a distraction. Uh, Midian walks over the Godfather for what feels like forever until he misses like a, a middle rope elbow, and that's where Godfather starts to make his comeback. And I mean, you're thinking this pay-per-view's under three hours long, but this match has gone on at least two hours. I know. I mean, I get, like, Godfather being over is why you probably put him in the opening match, and by him, I mean the hose. But it, when this, when Maiden, fuck, I can't remember his name, when Midian was on offense, like, the crowd suddenly just silenced. Like, how do you mute an attitude there, crowd, in the opening match, put Midian on offense? Just, just wait until he becomes naked, Midian. Oh, oh god, I got shivers now. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yeah, it's weird to even also think this man was a former European champion. He did find it in a bit. Was it a bin or Shane's bag or something like that? Didn't he? They yeah, kind yeah, of retired it on Shane and then decided to bring it back a couple of months later, didn't they? Yeah, because Shane wanted to retire undefeated. And then Midian found it in his bag and basically Shane said, you have it. And then I remember at the UK No Mercy, he defended it against uh, Kane and then he won by like DQ. And then he, I think this was in April. So then he holds, holds it all the way to fucking July without defending it and then finally lost it to D'Lo Brown. It's really loaded. <laughs> oh, speaking of D'Lo Brown, I'm pretty sure D'Lo Brown is still the European champion. And I don't think he's been on TV the past week. He's not on the pay-per-view either. No, but as, but as you were alluding to um, last week, it's not long after the uh, drug accident, isn't it? So he's probably uh, taking some time off and stuff because uh, he was quite traumatised by that, wasn't he? He was never the... It, uh, obviously, it was a lot worse for Darren Drozdov, but Dino was never the same after that either. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah, said in like, interviews, and even they mentioned that in the recent Dark Side of the Ring, uh, the Brawl for All episode... His draws within that tournament, and then they mentioned him being paralyzed. And Dilo is clearly like he still struggles with that to this day. It's just mm. that when he appears, 
I was going to say, the thing is, Droz has never blamed Devo and forgive, forgave him more or less straight away. He said, you know, we're wrestlers, these things happen, but poor Devo, he's, he's never forgiven himself, has he? No. It's just, uh, I remember we mentioned on Smedden, uh he was there with the big show, basically consoling him after the news about his dad. And I didn't even click, I didn't even remember that Devo was the European champion, but given how often he held the belt, around this time period, I probably should have just assumed it because Morphin and that the European title made its way back to Dealer Brown at some point, which goes to show how interesting this match is that we've started talking about draws and Dealer. <laughs> yeah, it was a funny title, the, the European title. It, it just showed that they do find it hard to book so many championships, WWE, so why they uh, still have so many these days is beyond me. Uh, on the outside, Visser goes to get involved again, but Godfather moves it away and he sends Visser straight into the post. Hits uh, the whole train after it's been avoided like twice so far. Godfather gets the win in 7 minutes 30. Felt like 70 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was not the hottest opening match, but I'm glad that Godfather won the streak continues. It, it does, yeah. Uh who needs the Undertaker when you've got the Godfather? Exactly. Mm. Great, greatest streak of all time, this is. Forget Asker and Goldberg. <laughs> uh, we get a recap of the, the closing angle of SmackDown where it was revealed that Triple H was not bitten by the snake and he attacked Austin. And on an interview in Sunday, he basically, Triple H basically said that the snake tried to bite him and he apparently ripped its head off and threw it in the trash. Yeah, because Triple H is super tough, Scott. Uh, yes, a snake could bite and hurt the game. Ridiculous. Yeah, and um, Triple H even says that his uh, performance on SmackDown was worthy of an Oscar. It really wasn't. <laughs> um, this, this interview is not one of Triple H's best things because he keeps stumbling over a couple of his lines. And it gets to the point where basically they cut away from the interview, which while he's mid-sentence, I think even Kevin Dunn, the truck, realises this is awful. Cut to the next bit. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a quick interview with um, women's champion Ivory mm-hmm. about her match coming up. I mean, my one, my one comfort when I saw what the opening match was um, between... Midian and the Godfather as well. At least it can't get any worse from here. But <laughs> how how wrong could I have been? Could you imagine my absolute despair when I realised the next match was flipping ivory against a seventy-two-year-old fabulous Mueller? For Christ's yeah. sakes! I mean, uh, the one something we've taken the Godfather matches that at least. That, that opened the show and not this match where, yeah, you have Ivory backstage uh, running down our opponents and uh, so next up we have Ivory finding women's champion against the fabulous human trafficker, I mean uh, the fabulous Miller. <laughs> We're getting us yanked off the air. <laughs> uh, what's weird about Ivory as a heel is her, like quite a few other women around this time, is the only reason she's a heel is she will not basically Press kind of skimpily or basically try and get her tits like most women were forced to in the same. So basically, by extension, you're a prude, which makes you a heel. <laughs> yeah. If you're not, not going to flash enough flash, you're, you're a heel and 
in 1999. Damn it! And it's quite sad because Ivory is is very attractive at this time, and she's a really good wrestler. And this is really what she's reduced to. And also, I keep wondering what is that weird purple fabric thing she keeps coming out with? Looks like she once comes out with weird purple. It looks like a scarf or something like that. And it's just weirdly distracting during their entrance. Yeah, the, the, in, maybe not interesting fact about Ivory, but she's an uh, original uh, member of the original Glow as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very good in ring. She's good at kind of the role she's given. Not good at giving Hall of Fame speeches, though. <laughs> Who is, really? Not, not many are, to be fair. Uh, I, I was just so sad watching that Hall of Fame speech. It was like... Your aunt, who, uh, your auntie who got up at a family party <laughs> to give a speech and just doesn't know when to wrap it up. They never do, though, do they, on these things? They have to thank everybody and ramble on. It's, uh, yeah, but this um, May Young bit. comes out. May Young comes out um, as usual. No, no, Mueller comes out as usual, accompanied by May Young, is what I meant to say. Sorry. The best thing I can say about this match. I've put a, well, before that, I can say there's a woman with a sign that says, Ivory is my hero. And uh, JR kind of cuts it in and goes, Well, I've got a fence there here now, at least one. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously, Mila shouldn't be nowhere near a wrestling ring uh, at this stage in her life. It's, it's like watching someone walk through treacle. She's, she's slow, she, every spot is blown. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a tough watch. It's a mess. It's a mess of a match, but you can't expect anything more, really, considering he's in it. It's just, oh God! <laughs> what I put down a bit of match. It really sums it up. Is it looks like it was wrestled underwater, and and <laughs> King even points out. He says, King even says this match looks like it's being wrestled in slow motion. It does, doesn't it? Oh, I mean, I can hardly move. And as I say, there's a there's a like I think it's like some sort of tope or something out of the ring onto Mueller and she just like falls like a sack of spuds onto the floor it's Mueller wasn't that ready or able to catch her and it oh god it was a right mess yeah it was a horrible looking suicide dive between the, the bottom and middle mm. row Mueller was definitely not in the right position whenever me uh, me young gets in anywhere close to Ivory she keeps attacking her like she draw kicks her off the apron at one point which Vince, uh, sorry, Jerry pisses himself laughing at. She tries to use the belt as a weapon. Uh, Mula, uh, May grabs off her. And what is possibly the worst roll-up I have ever seen. Like, yeah. Austin, Steve Austin used to got a better roll-up on Owen Hart in 97. <laughs> and, Austin, gonna... and, Austin, and Austin couldn't feel his arm. This is, this is literally in my notes of what? The worst roll-up since Austin and Owen at SummerSlam. And yeah, you're probably right. It's probably worse than that. It, it's so, so weak. It shouldn't, have, it shouldn't have been enough to put Ivory away, really. But, but there you go. Yeah. Austin always says that that is probably the worst roll-up ever when he, when he did an Owen. And I'm now watching this match, I'm thinking, Steve is Steve. Don't be too hard on yourself. I mean, yes. So in our 70s, the Fabulous Miller wins the women's title. In two minutes fifty. I mean, people people complain about Goldberg beating the Fiend, but I mean, this is this is on on a par with that easily. Jesus Christ! The longest two and a half minutes of my fucking life watching this. 
<laughs> yeah, really was. Yeah, I told me it was only two and a half minutes. I don't think. I don't think I'd have believed you. I mean, two and a half the, hours. I mean, the, the start of this match is just so awkward. I mean, Ivory Styles, uh, the weakest kick to the gut I've ever seen, that is barely makes contact with her, and then it just, it just, wherever you think it can't go any further downhill, it just steadily, <laughs> it steadily declines more and more. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I know, I know these. I mean, be clearly, these ladies were. Mueller and May Young, they were up for doing all this stuff. They they wanted to be, they wanted to be thrown around if they were going to be used and stuff. But but still, they, they shouldn't have been anywhere near a, a match, and it, a match like this, really. To be honest, I know, and I I really I really just feel bad for Ivory because we just getting ambushed by two old women, and then she loses her title to one of them in one of the worst matches I've ever watched. It did. Yeah, I, I, I forgot about this match. I probably expunged it from my memory. And yeah, I'm going to have to reevaluate what I thought was the worst match now after rewatching that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, this, this also was not mentioned in Ivory's Hall of Fame package. And I think it's for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Moving swiftly on. You uh, better call somebody. Uh, but before that, we uh, got another recap to Sunday Heat where Vince informs Triple H that the uh, the match with Austin has now been made no holds barred, and which is apparently very upsetting to Triple H because apparently he has a strategy which apparently won't work in a no holds barred match, which makes you think, why the fuck did you tell Vince McMahon your strategy in the first place? Exactly. I mean, you're boasting about pulling the wool over Vince's eyes, who is your boss, so you mm-hmm. don't think he's going to want to get his own back in, in some way. Um, wasn't exactly very thought out. Um, I think, again, this was made... If, I mean, if you know it, since Austin's come back, he hasn't really worked a proper match. And mm-hmm. this, this one needed all the sort of bells and whistles for uh, Austin to get through it as well, because um, it's not long before he's off uh, more neck surgery, is it? Yeah, pretty much. I think this is very necessary given the state Austin's in. What I don't like is uh, also JR's going to root for Austin because he's his friend and also Triple H has attacked him and as part of the build to this. And also King's going to have his doubts, but he expects him as a heel commentator to root for Triple H. But as soon as it's been made a no holds barred situation, which obviously does favour Austin, is since Austin's original neck injury he became more of a brawler. It just seems like King's given up hope on Triple H completely. Like, he's just basically saying, oh, God, we're going to have a new champion tonight, and all that, like, at least have some fucking faith in the guy, like. Well, yeah, but maybe that's what they wanted you to believe, so it was more of a surprise when uh, the title didn't change hands, perhaps, I don't know. Maybe, but we move on to what is now no longer for the WF tag team titles, because the Hollies are fucking idiots. <laughs> I still can't, I still can't get my head around that at all. Yeah. I'm going to smack um, the Outlaws in the head and cost them the match so we can't possibly win the tag team titles anymore. That's, that's a great plan. Yeah. Apparently they thought we'd stand much better chance to be team up against the two, you know, former WAF champions for the tag team titles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Much rather face Rock and uh, Sup connection for the title. Uh, again, coming out to their trope, all four guys brawl at the rampway because they're so angry at each other. Uh, 
quick quick, quick brawl. Uh, Crash gets double teamed by the outlaws up until uh, Rodor gets sent flying over the top to the outside. Where what is usually a common criticism of the outlaws matches is where a lot of them tend to be centered around Rodor gets double teamed up until the point where they can tag in Billy Gunn. He can get the hot tag, and that is what they do here. But to be fair, when you actually see Billy Gunn come in. He, he does get one, a really good hot tag. It's really not really talked about as much as it should be when you talk about hot tags. Yeah, um, uh, he's, he's the bigger guy. He's more over. And um, he's, Rodo doesn't have much of a moose either, to, to be fair to him. So mm-hmm. it, it probably is for the best that Billy Gunn gets the hot tag. Yeah. And in these tag matches, maybe they, they just, you know... They disguise his shortcomings a bit, but it's surprising how good. I was surprised how good he looked in them. But then, in some of his solo efforts, you you kind of think, oh, what's so special about him? So he's he's a bit of an anomaly, Billy Gunn, really. Yeah, pretty much. It's weird how good he is. Uh, how good he is, like here. But when you actually try to push him as a things guy, you can actually use like what's good about him, like he's actually like, in ring talent. It's just weird how a little actually works. It doesn't help when uh, someone like The Rock completely buries you in promos. But... Yeah, I mean, if not, you're already facing up a bat when you're squaring off on the mic against someone like The Rock. But yeah, it did them no favours. Now, this is finish. I had to rewind for a second to try and figure out what the fuck happened here. Uh, Hardcore goes to get a chair... He slides in the ring with the intention of Crash using the chair, but Crash gets famous famous on the chair, and the referee sees it, and the referee disqualifies uh, the outlaws. Despite not seeing, he didn't see Hardcore put the chair in, but he sees the chair there once Billy Gunn hits the famouser, and Billy Gunn goes for the pin. The referee, the referee, not even getting out to count. The referee immediately gets at the ring, and the bell rings, and Billy Gunn's not heard a count, but he just gets up and assumes that they've won and lifts his arms in the air. Because he was in a pinning position, and this seems he and Road Dog won. It's a strange, it's a strange one, and yeah, they, when someone brings in a foreign object, but it gets dropped, and then someone does a manoeuvre onto it, you, you'd very rarely see him get disqualified, if ever, for, for that one, do you? So it's it, it's a strange finish to the match. Yeah, the Hollies get the win by DQ. Uh, I don't know if maybe the Hollies were always meant to win when this was a title match or it was going to end in a DQ, but or may, or if this was just changed at the last minute, like when the Rock and Salt won the titles. Because they uh, do win the belts, don't they, for a short spell, uh, the Hollies? Yeah, I think If I remember correctly. They do win them for like two or so weeks before dropping them back again, and then I don't think they're going to remain a team for much longer because they're doing this whole super heavyweight thing, but eventually they're going to realise that Crash is the more charismatic of the two and just give him that gimmick and then give Hardcore basically his, his own, basically being himself, which is a bit of a dick. Yeah, he was the uh, truth of his time. He he really took the the Hardcore title and made it his own, didn't he? He, mm-hmm. he, he did, you know, he got himself over and did really well in, in that role on his own. Yeah, I've not really got much to say about this, much more about the side match because there is another very noteworthy time match that comes later on, which I think blows this one out of the water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, it's far better than the last two matches. I'll give it that. And I think we saw Billy Gunn 
used a jackhammer again. I've, I've got it dead in my notes anyway. So that's that's the uh, I think the only two times I've ever seen him use that maneuver. And I don't know if he got told to drop it or decided to stop using it. One or the other. Maybe I think this may be a given that the Hollies do win the tag titles very soon after this. Uh, maybe they were, they had this thing in mind of kind of a mini push for the Hollies. They thought giving them a win over the Atlas would be a good thing for them, even mm. if it was by DQ. Uh, that match went 10 minutes 32, so you know. And like you said, it was better than the previous two. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a full enough match. It wasn't too bad at all. Mm-hmm. Now, this next match is one of the ones I'm looking forward to talking about. Uh, even though it has a pretty crappy video package, kind of recap everything that's happened. We had the uh, the first ever good housekeeping match for the WF Intercontinental Championship between China, who despite being still associated with Triple H and using Triple H's theme song, is standing up for all women against the misogynist Jeff Jarrett. Who, to be fair, Ian, Jeff Jarrett, if you're going to get given a gimmick where basically you beat up women and say women are inferior, you really need to go in dive in with both feet and Jeff Jarrett's done that he really did didn't he and uh, I could imagine the, the sort of heat you'd get these days if you were doing that sort of character don't think you'd last very long but yeah it, it is very jarring you, you know one minute China's with Triple H healing it up completely and now we're meant to root for or as you say against the misogynist chauvinistic um, Jeff Jarrett <laughs> It's yeah. uh, very bizarre. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or after the match, but uh, there are some certain, there are very interesting circumstances surrounding Jeff Jarrett and this match that led to Jeff Jarrett not really being in WRB or in their good graces until he was later inducted in the Hall of Fame way in 2018. Yeah, well, we might as well talk about it now before we get into the match. Yeah, he, he basically, uh, his contract had expired before uh, this pay-per-view. And he basically held up Vince for a lot of money. He said he wouldn't do the match or drop the title unless he was put, was it 500,000 or something like that? Did he ask for? I can't quite remember the exact figure now, but it was, a, it was a lot of money, wasn't it? Yeah, I think from what I've read, I think it may have been 300,000 or something around the, that mark. Yeah, it's like around that mark, isn't it? Yeah. Apparently, it was for royalties to do with merch or uh, DVDs or something like that. Basically, money he would be getting anyway, but. Apparently, as it usually would work, is he wouldn't get it for the next, another month or so because he was leaving to go to WCW because Russo was there and he and Russo were pals. He thought that the W would try and uh, Vince and the company would try and kind of screw him over or basically delay and delay him getting his money. So he thought, well, give me the money now up front or I'm not saying the extension to put China over for the belt because the contract was up before No Mercy happened. So was the case, and Vince also didn't like being basically told what to do, or he, and he felt being held up for money by Jarrett. Yeah, so it's basically led to Vince sort of firing him on air when they acquired uh, WCW and sort of blacklisting him from WWE for 20-odd years. Until, was it last year he, he, he finally came back? Uh, no, I think it was the year before 2018, I believe it was, ah. because I do remember... Fucking with my baby tonight, basically being fucking everywhere around that time in the lead up to WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's an absolute banger. To be fair, but it is a good, it is a good tune. Yeah, uh, even though he didn't sing it, but no. he. <laughs> uh, what's interesting as well is uh, obviously on, on my podcast we've been doing kind of we've started this mini series going back to the history of TNA, and 
what's interesting is the money that he gets from Vince here, uh, he doesn't spend right away. He holds on to it, and a lot of it, that money is pretty much used as startup capital when he starts TNA. <laughs> so, you know, oh, no wonder Vince was fuming, even more than. <laughs> so, yeah, so technically some good came with because, you know, uh, Impact is doing better now these days without Jeff Jarrett involved. But back to this match, Jeff Jarrett comes out with the kitchen sink because, you know, they said on Friday, I'm bringing everything, and you can use everything but the kitchen sink, and I'm bringing that too. So, you know, <laughs> that old saying, everything. Shana comes out with a bunch of household items. Uh, this was a really fun match. I mean, fair to Jeff Jarrett, he, he sells for China and basically allows himself to get battered around by China because a lot of, it's well talked about that it depended on who China was working with, how well it would get the match did because some men were not really willing to put China over. They weren't really willing to sell for a woman. And uh, I think Jeff Jarrett is one of the few that were actually willing to like properly go out there and make her look good. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, a lot of people were, were more willing to work with China after uh, McFurley put her over as well, which, um, which certainly helped the case. But, um, yeah, this, this match did have a, the stipulation and the bells and whistles to sort of hide her shortcomings as well. So um, it was the ideal sort of situation for her, to be fair. And as you say, yeah, it's, a, it's an enjoyable match. Yeah. But again, though... Uh, we'll we'll get to in due course, but again, a bit of a bit of a strange finish again, really, isn't isn't it? Yeah, but we'll talk about everything that leads up to mm. it because uh, yeah, Jane is using all sorts of different household items to beat up Jarrett. She puts them across this table. She dies off the apron, but Jarrett moves out of the way. She goes to the table, and then there's a sequence where he and Miss Kitty are getting some flour and some eggs, and basically they're putting them in this pot. Jarrett puts some <laughs> flour in his, his hand, but Jane knocks it up in the air. And it goes all over Jarrett's face, and then Shana grabs Miss Kitty and basically dumps this pot full of eggs and all that on top of her. Much to uh, much to Gerald Lawler's chagrin, because obviously he would go in later to marry Miss Kitty, and God, he does not shut up whenever she's out on his drink. <laughs> I think they are. I think they are married at this point, or at least dating, because um, the sort of marriage ended when she got taken off. When she got taken off air. And he couldn't get her a job back, so she, <laughs> she left it. Very much, yeah. So there's all sorts of stuff like the the powder, and it is all over, like pretty much all over ring states, all over Jeff Jarrett's face, everything like that. Jane is using fucking tongs uh, on Jarrett's testicles, which really <laughs> yeah. made a lot. Pretty much every guy in the arena wins. And uh, the, how high pitched King's voice went when. Uh, and when he judges, they're using everything but the. And then China picks up the kitchen sink and smacks Jarrett over the head with it. <laughs> uh, I believe Teddy Long. We talked about him before on the the Retro Smash movie. He was the uh, the referee for this match. Yes. Well, notably, no, uh, they keep talking about the new authority that the referees have got because back on Forgiven or the weeks leading up to Unforgiven, the referees went on strike. If if uh, Taylor Long really had authority, he would turn every singles match that he, he had to referee into a tag team match. Yeah, he would. <laughs> I'm just, I, I don't remember this newfound authority lasting all that long either. It was, it was yeah. seemingly forgotten about after a, a couple of months or so. Yeah, I think it's used for a while to kind of maybe explain whenever a referee gets kind of physically involved or if a referee overlooks something they probably should have mm. like flagged them up for. They say, well, well, he's got a new authority. It's up to the referee's discretion. So, 
really just kind of used to fill gaps for a while and then quickly forgotten about. But uh, yeah, Jeff gets uh, China in the figure four as well. The, which gives you a good sort of spot where China has to get over to the ropes to to break the hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janet eventually hits China with the the uh, the title belt, the Intercontinental title belt, and pins her. But then Taylong was taken out briefly when uh, China was sent to the ropes and on a Teddy Long. So we didn't see him use the tail belt, but then he shortly sees the belt lying next to Jarrett and basically says to Jarrett, wait, you can't use that IC tail belt in this match. That is not a household item. Which brilliantly, King responds, what's well, an item in Jeff Jarrett's household? <laughs> and then people argue, like, changes used to the guitar later, but Jeff Jarrett's promo, which I should have mentioned on SmackDown, in his promo, he talks about, for my personal, like, uh, recordings to do in my home, I'm bringing this, my guitar. So technically... Jarrett's basically made the guitar in canon a household item, and people do have guitars in their homes, so it's much more a household item than uh, the title belt. No, well, I've got I've got loads of uh, intercontinental title belts talking around my house. I don't know what you're on about, Scott. <laughs> yeah, so Jarrett is annoyed about the match being restarted, so rather than going after Trina, he grabs uh, Terry Long and looks to put Terry Long in the figure four. As he spins round, he walks right into China, who has hit him with a guitar, China makes the cover and pins Jeff Jarrett to become the first ever woman to hold the Intercontinental Championship. Now, my, my complaints with China's booking and the lead up to this aside, I mean, Jarrett, I think, actually really carried the feud a lot more than people give him credit for. But the actual match itself it was really a lot of fun because I've actually been, I've actually witnessed a few good housekeeping matches live in uh, ICW, and it's always fun to see a good housekeeping match because you can just use any sort of household item and you can really get creative with the kind of objects at your disposal. Yeah, I enjoyed this match. I thought it was a <clears throat> a fun match. And as you say, Jarrett, um, he did really well. As you say, carried the feud really well. And, and, and the match outcome was a bit, as I say, uh, yeah, he, he sort of gets the, the visible win before it gets reversed. But that aside, yeah, I think it was... It was a great, great moment for China and women in particular at that particular time for a woman to hold what's predominantly been a male championship. Yeah, I mean, they do cut to the crowd. There are quite a few women who are cheering for China. So like, it does show that it is a big deal because China, out of everybody, China's been made to look the biggest deal in the women's division because mm. simply because she's been kept away from every other woman and has basically been playing against the men her almost her entire career. And what's interesting is even after agreeing with Jeff that women were the inferior species on SmackDown and getting a, a pot dumped on her head by China, Miss Cage has looked at Jeff Jarrett, shakes her head and just buggers off and wanders backstage with China. Yeah, as I was say, she became a bit of a valley for China for a little bit, didn't she? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, she basically dresses exactly like her, basically became China's mini-me for a while. I suppose with uh, Jarrett leaving and... Um not really having anything else for Kitty to do. They wanted to do something to keep her on uh, TV. Pretty much. Uh, but overall, I think a really fun match. Uh, definitely better than what we've seen so far. And obviously, it's a kind of a famous match. A lot of people remember this match mainly because of, well, partly for Jeff Jarlene, but also because the history that China makes in it. But I think it's one of my highlights of the entire night, this. Yeah, it's 
match of the night easily so far, and mm-hmm. probably the second probably the second best match on the card. I would probably I would I wouldn't disagree with that. What is definitely not one of the matches of the night is what's coming up next. Before I go, before I go, I should say eight minutes twenty five for the good Husky match. It actually much shorter than you realise, and I actually could have watched it for a few more minutes because I'll say it was that entertaining that I wanted to see what other items they could have used. So we move on to the next match. It is The Rock taking on the British Bulldog. Uh, another hype package showing the uh, Unforgiven. Uh, the Raw after Unforgiven and the Rebellion. The Bulldog cost The Rock the WF title. But the Rock did get Bulldog back on SOS Smackdown when he was the guest referee for Bulldog v Triple H, featuring the infamous one, two, it doesn't matter if The Rock counts to three. And the greatest people's elbow of all time. <laughs> oh, definitely. The sliding with the uh, the shoes are, is amazing. It is. How he, how he did that with such control, I'll, I'll never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's simply amazing. Uh, I remember when we got to that week when we did that episode, I remember like, oh God, it's that episode, yes, and I couldn't wait for them one. Because <laughs> <one. laughs> like, the way The Rock just does, like, Bulldog, I can't remember who did to me, I think Bulldog hits the like, slam on Triple H, goes for the bin, and then Rock just in seconds, he just stands in the corner kind of applauding, like, that was good, that was good. Or at hmm. one point, he gets it on commentary, goes, Rock doesn't feel like counting, so he's not going to count. <laughs> it's you just know, everything, everything, everything else, Rock touched was gold, basically, Batman. Yeah, I think that's why, like, anybody else did that, they'd be just seen as an arsehole, but, like, the Rock does it in such a way that it's just, he can't, can't not be entertaining. But, we go on to this match, the Rock versus Dodo, we talk about how little The Rock cares about being in a tidy with mankind. The video, uh, the graphic shows The Rock with the title belt. It comes out without the belt. Yeah, it does, doesn't he? And he's, and he's uh, like the card that comes up that says The Rock doesn't even say WF Tag Team Champion. And I don't even think Howard Finkel announces him as one half of the WF Tag Team no, Champion. No, I, I don't believe he does, no. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't want anything to do with it at all, does he? Yeah, and then... Uh, Cheryl Lola tries to like imply that there's something wrong with the rock and talk by like talking about oh why well, hasn't he got the tag belt on? He doesn't want anything to do with mankind. And then Cheryl tries to pass it off like well this isn't a tag team match, it's a singles match. Even though I think pretty sure mankind comes out with his tag team title belt later on. It does make sense for their characters though. To to be fair, mm. and you talked about trying to hide like yeah, put matches around people's strengths. I think that's what they did here with Bulldog because he's cruelly mm. knackered at this point and they go immediately straight to the outside for a brawl run ringside. Yeah, he was, he was re- never really able to work properly again after uh, he broke his back on that trap door in WCW which was meant for the ultimate warrior to to pop up out of. Um, yeah, he knackered his back up and he was never the same since unfortunately because you wouldn't know it to look at him here, but he was a really good worker in his prime. Yeah. Clearly, uh, his promos never got any better because I've seen any some of his old promos and then some of the stuff we've seen on the retro review so far, it's just got off. I mean, his best promo was in the 97 Rumble where he yelled in the camera, I'm going to win the Rumble because I'm better. <laughs> yeah, he, he's never never the best promo, bless him. I mean, this, you, you go around ringside, you see there's still like traces of like the flower 
from the good ice cream match that they clearly haven't had time to clean up yet. <laughs> and I look around like, given like Bulldog's history, like substance abuse and all that, is it really that wise to have so much white powder in <laughs> the ring when he's out there? <laughs> Just a thought, you know. <laughs> I mean, you talk about like suck quiet in the crowd down. I mean, the crowd are still hot for Rock. They'll even when he's like, uh, he's taking offense, people will still be chanting his name. But most of Bulldog's offense is pretty much headlocks upon headlocks. Yeah, he obviously can't do much else um, at this point in his career. Bless him, his his moveset is extremely limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, hits a power slam on the rock at one point. Uh, it doesn't look like they look like he's struggling to even hold them up. He just doesn't even do a run with the power slam. He just picks them up, holds them for a second, mm. and then down. Uh, rock kicks out and. I think you pretty much know that Rock's going to win, even though, even after the whole dog bear angle, but like, the power slams he's, his Bulldog finisher and the Rock kicked out of it so easily, so he thought, oh well, Bulldog's probably not going to win. But he picks him up for a second power slam, Rock fights out of it, hits a Rock Fulton. Uh, he do, does he hit the people's elbow? I believe he does. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he does, yeah. Because uh, I remember there was somebody a sign on one side of the, uh, the barrier who had a sign saying, Elbow pad with a target on it because the Rock would always throw his elbow pad in the crew, and I always and I thought that guy must have been so disappointed because the Rock faced the exact opposite direction when he does people's <laughs> elbow. That guy must have been so disappointed. Like, oh, I'm fucking nowhere near the elbow pad now. <laughs> so yeah, the Rock it's counters the power slam at the Rock bottom, hits the people's elbow, and mercifully ends this feud with Bulldog in seven minutes twenty-one. And again, this felt a lot longer than that to be honest, but. Yeah, it's such a shame because both men at the top of their game, it probably would have been a good match, but at this point in Bulldog's career, he couldn't go at all, really. And his yeah. tenure in WWE would be pretty, quite short-lived. I can't remember when he was released or he went, but its I don't think it's too long. Unfortunately, he is going to stick around in the lower mid-card until, until just after the, uh, the 2000 Royal Rumble. Uh, he's not really going to do that much of mm. note. He's going to be hanging around the Mean Street Posse for quite a bit after this. But for some yeah, wasn't he in a Survivor Series match randomly with him and the Mean Street Posse? Yeah. And then I'm pretty sure they all got eliminated immediately and he was just left on his own. <laughs> that was yeah. uh, Thankfully, you wonder, like, the crowd have kind of been quieted down. Like, you talk about how you put out matches to kind of cool the crowd down a bit after kind of a, a, a marquee match has happened. I think even though I had the rock in it, that kind of cooled the crown down a bit after the good house of the match. But thankfully, they were brought right back up with this next match where you have uh, the Hardys, the Edge and Christian and the finals of the Terry Invitational Tournament and a first ever tag team ladder match. And we find out that Heat's probably still a big deal right now because the stipulation is announced on Heat when Terry's climbing a ladder while... Daryl Lawler, pair of his honour. Yeah, looking right up, looking right up his skirt. Jesus Christ. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, basically, most of the way through the match, he's, he's talking about how he saw it all and <laughs> it winked at me and all these other bloody... <laughs> yeah. What I think is weird about this whole thing like in the series is and Jeff are part of the new boot along with Gangrel and they're fighting for the man- for the services of a new manager while their current manager keeps accompanying them to the ring. <laughs> yeah, and he's helping them win as well. 
Uh, it's quite sad because after this, Gangrel is again also not long for the company. He just floats around pretty much doing nothing. Uh, pretty soon into this match, he tries to help the Hardys by grabbing a ladder for them, but then Tim White just sends them to the back uh, so he doesn't interfere. And what I'm glad is uh, with this match is I think it's mainly due to the fact that some of the other matches we talked about haven't been that good, that the crowd were so hot for this match that they were popping. The further into the match they got, the more the guys were risking their, their bodies. The crowd were, were getting up and standing and applauding for a lot of these spots. But yeah, but it, as I say in my notes, we've got it, you know, it started off fast and furious this match and it, it never really slowed down. I mean, all four of these men could go. They're all super workers and at this point in their career, all super young as well. And can you believe, apart from Christian, all three, you know, these are all still going today as well, as I say, apart yeah. from Christian. I know, like, if you were to ask me which one of these guys is not going to be wrestling anymore, I would have not have said Christian. I probably would have said Jeff. You would have, wouldn't you? The, thing, the things he does in these types of matches... How he's still going nowadays is beggar's belief, really. Fucking Gangrel, Gangrel's more active nowadays in wrestling than Christian is because fucking Gangrel showed up at Pro Wrestling Magic where fucking Jimmy uh, works. So, <laughs> and I remember a couple of people he showed up in a uh, rumble they were doing. I remember you saw the clip getting shared around on Facebook. Uh, like fucking Gangrel's still going, but fucking Christian isn't. Like, there's something really wrong with that. I know, yeah, but he's had too many concussions, hasn't he, unfortunately? Sadly. Yeah. But one of the, when I talked about how into the fact crowd was, uh, one of the first things you really see the crowd's like, attention, and you can see like, that these four guys have got the crowd where they want them, is when Jeff does the, uh, when he goes up in the turnbuckle with the, the ladder position in front of it, and he does a flip over the ladder and then into the leg drop. And yeah. you look at the way he shot the crowd, and you can see, like, they, like for them, a lot of this stuff is very new to them, so they're responding to pretty much everything that is happening. I mean, back then, I mean, we hadn't had obviously we hadn't had the TLC matches or or anything of that nature. We basically had uh, your Triple H, um, Rock ladder matches, and your Shawn Michaels, um, Razor Ramon ladder matches. There might be some others, but I don't remember them. But yeah, this I mean the spots. These guys were doing like nothing you'd ever seen before up until this, up until this point. Watching it for the first, watching it for the first time, it was just mind blowing. The moves and uh, the way they were utilizing the ladders. Well, I'm glad about in this match is whenever you see a match where people talk about how innovative it was, more often not you look back on it, you see like the people have done it in matches since have done more stuff. Like, so there are times where you think, oh. It's not as good as really as some people remember, but then you look back at this match and like this match definitely still holds up even with like the TLC matches that are to come later on. Yeah, it does. It holds up really well, and as you're saying, they're doing flips off the ladders. They most of them do their the sort of uh, manoeuvres off the ladders. I think Edge does a downward spiral off the ladder at one point, something like that. Uh, I know Jeff gets sandwiched between the two ladders. Yeah. At one point, you have a Edge basically getting positioned by the Christian going on Edge is like getting splashed by Edge on a the ladder, which is on a, a Jeff Hardy. We also have uh, the debut of what is what would go on to be referred to as the uh, the Wiley Coyote camera. Yes, and we also have the that catapult spot where 
one lad is sort of balanced on the other, a bit like a seesaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, two guys are fighting. A guy jumps off the rope, lands on one under the ladder, flipping it up and hitting the other two guys in the face. Uh, quite a dangerous spot because it um, broke Joey Mercury's face in a match, that uh, that spot. Yeah, it was a bit weird, this spot, because it hit with Jeff hitting it and the ladder went into Edge's face, but Matt Hardy was also there. Yeah. He basically took out his own partner at the same time. It was a, a solid match, and the finish was a lot better than I remember it being. Well, I actually wasn't entirely sure what the finish was because I've seen like highlights this much, but like I really enjoyed how well done the finish was. Where you had Edge and Christian, you had Edge and Jeff on one ladder, which was not really near the the hundred thousand dollar bag. Uh, I thought, what the hell are they doing there? But you had Matt and Edge on one side, on the other ladder, which is right underneath the money. So Matt gets knocked off. And he knocks into a ladder, which which tips over, so Christian falls. But eight, but Jeff's close to the other ladder, so Jeff jumps off that and onto the ladder Edge is on. And then he just crumbs up, hits Edge, and then just grabs the money and basically is like grab it and then just drop down. He basically hangs there with unhooking the money and just drops to the floor as soon as he's got it. Yeah, because he didn't have it in a briefcase or or it was like a title on a hook. It was actually a a bag tied up on a on a cable or something, so it made it a bit more difficult for him to uh, pull it off, I think. Yeah. Um, I, all I was missing was having a bunch of dollar scenes written on the side of the, the bag. Yeah. But I don't know if it... Maybe it's the, the concussion or the headshots in these ladder matches, because you always see somebody set up a ladder nowhere near the um, the thing suspended from the ceiling and try and climb it, anything. But you're miles away from it. What are you doing? Yeah, it, it, it's spots like that that sometimes take care of it because you realise that that's not really doing anything and yeah, helping you win. Buying, just, buying just time, helping, basically. Just helping you set up. Much, you've got a certain amount of spots, you think, I need to set up the next spot. Mm. But, yeah, in uh, 16 minutes, 40 these guys went out there and they pretty much stole the show. They pretty much eclipsed every majority of the matches that came before this, except for the uh, probably the good housekeeping match. And we get a brief shot backstage of uh, Matt and Jess celebrating with Terry quite awkwardly. But uh, the, <laughs> the, fans, the fans do show respect to Edge and Christian as well. We're kind of almost a standing ovation, uh, even though they lost the match. And apparently when they came back to the grill position, Pretty much everyone was standing and showing the, the respect to Matt, uh, the Hardys and Edge and Christian after this match. You, you know you know it's been a great match when the fans are giving the losers a standing uh, a stand ovation. That's, when, that's when you know you've that's when you know you've nailed it. I think because of the respect they earned from this match, uh, Edge and Christian briefly like all four teams are go face after this. Like Edge and Christian were faces going after the Hardys were technically the heels. Uh, because of their association with Grand Grail, which is a usually the opposite dynamic that you'd expect from these teams. So after this, this all four teams become phased after this, but uh, and lead up to WrestleMania, that will soon change to the dynamic we yeah. know it. We, we best remember it, but we'll cover that when we get to it. I think they were always better and more entertaining, Edge and Christian as heels. They had, they had such a fun run, especially their little run with. Uh, Kurt Angle when he was mm-hmm. was it no Mick Foley when he was general manager and Kurt Angle making these funny little cameos with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, 
like they keep trying to come up with excuses to get to defend their titles or they moan yeah. that they don't they don't have their own locker room and one of my favorite ones is Mick Foley saying like, Well I was a three time world champion, I never got out of my own locker room. Yeah, well Mick, you never change your clothes. Speaking <laughs> uh, of Mick Foley, I believe this is the thing I can't remember if it was on Sun Night Heat or if it was just like a backstage but on the main show itself, but uh, Mick Foley's backstage with his book. He runs into the Hollies and he says, uh, the Hollies are randomly hanging outside, outside the men's toilets for some reason. <laughs> and he says to Hardcore, hey, you're in this, you're in this book, you non, you non uh, carnival going sucker, you crash, you didn't make the cut. Have you heard that story <laughs> that he's referencing here? Uh, I can't remember. I probably have, but I can't recall it off the top of my head. Uh, I think this is a story apparently, from what I remember, uh, Al Snow and Mick Foley wanted to go to this carnival and uh, they were going to bring Hardcore with them but I thought then Hardcore had basically been his usual sell and I thought yeah he probably won't enjoy this so they basically Al Snow and Mick Foley went to the carnival without him <laughs> uh, so he goes into the main story he basically assumes that the rock's in the stall he makes a, a shit joke saying oh I can smell what you're cooking and he basically slides the, uh, the book copy of his book under the stall for me, have a read it. He leaves the the stall and then he sees the rock walking by. He's like, Rock, where's my book? You're like, I haven't got your book and then he goes, Well when you do find your book, make sure you get me a copy and sign it to the great one and the rock just walks off. So so he goes back in and see who's got his book and uh Val Venus attacks him with the book. It's a hard copy so he smacks him in the back of the head with it. I think that was goes, her actually. It's quite a thick book to be fair. Mm-hmm. And he basically goes, uh, yeah, thanks for the book, Mick. And as you said, it's a, it's a thick book. I think it's like 700-odd pages, Mick um, Foley's first book. So, and it's hardcore back. So, and I think from what I've heard, Mick Foley said that he uh, he handwritten his first book. Like, he didn't use a typewriter. I don't think there was, it was very rare for people to use laptops to type up books. So he actually hand-wrote the whole thing. Yeah, and because um, he did a few biographies at that point in time, and the old guy issued um, ghost writers and most of them used them, but Mick insisted on uh, writing and writing and his is himself. And it's a very good read. I've got if you've read it. Have you read it, Scott? Hey, I've actually got it. My brother got it ages ago. He said he couldn't get into it. I've read uh, a few chapters of it where he talks about the original like films that he did when he started the Dude Love gimmick. Mm. And he's about to get into wrestling at the point. I mean that, but I. I more often than not nowadays, I take ages to read a book unless I'm super invested in it. It takes me ages to finish a book. I mean, I fucking rattled through Kane's book a few months ago. I can imagine. <laughs> I got that for my Christmas, and I remember there was a day where my Wi-Fi kind of uh, went all funny. It was, this was back in February, and my Wi-Fi went funny. I basically had to get my BT Hub replaced, but it the new Hub would be there to the next day. And I had like a few chapters left. I basically rattled through the last half of that book within the space of a one evening, and that, and that was even the interesting bit with the rest. So that was the boring politicky bit. <laughs> like, oh, I quite enjoyed Mankind's book, but I suppose I had it at the right time when he, he was, you know, still really hot. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good book. Yeah, I really, I do enjoy reading wrestling books. Like I've read quite a few. Uh, I've heard very Mysterio's book. Uh, Brock Lesnar co-wrote it with co-wrote a book with uh, Paul Heyman a few years before he came back to WWE. And by that I mean Brock probably told Heyman about his life and Heyman wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
It's called uh, Death Clutch. Uh, it's actually a pretty good read. To, if uh, if Prox says, says he wrote it, I'm not going to argue with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've read Jericho's books. Actually, I've read the second, third, and fourth one for some reason. Uh, I haven't read the first one mainly because we, I think we loaned somebody the copy of uh, the first book and we just haven't got it back from them yet. And that was a good while ago. But like, I really enjoy reading wrestling-related books. Like, Have you read that uh, one, the, the History of Pro Wrestling, the Jim Smallman one? I don't think I have, actually, no. But I have read... I have read some books. I've, I've read um, the Bret Hart one. I've read some of the Jericho ones. I read most of the ones that were released the same time as um, Foley did his. Um, I did read the Rocks. Um, Kurt Angles I read. That's a very interesting read. I read Hogan's. But that's, I think that's more fiction than facts, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm really like, into reading like, wrestling. Like, all biographies are books about wrestling now. Quite a few ones I've got. I've got a wee list of ones I really want to read at some point. And I know this is a weird tangent, but we're talking about Foley's book. <laughs> but, but I would recommend the uh, the Jim Small one, the history of pro wrestling, because obviously if you're a fan for a cinema time, you know a lot of stuff. But there's a lot of stuff like that you can like you can read and like. Geez, I don't even know that. So uh, it's something I would definitely recommend reading. But sorry, before I go back, I know a big long sidetrack, but. Talk about Jericho's books. I was really annoyed after I read the fourth one because the fourth one is basically maybe it's advertised as kind of a mix of an autobiography plus self-help kind of thing where basically he's, he's applying principles that have helped him in life with random stories. And then he, so I read the book. It was an interesting read. And then I went to see Jericho. Yeah, he's inside the ropes tour. And he basically, all the stories he told at that tour were ones I'd read in his fucking book. <laughs> That's... Uh... That's the trouble sometimes, yeah. When I when I went to the when I went to the Bret Hart one, he talked about a lot of stuff I'd already uh, read about or, or heard in previous interviews. So it was a it was a slight disappointment there that I didn't really hear much new. Yeah, so you know, moving back to uh, No Mercy, which we're here to review, <laughs> uh, we get uh, the Rock's music hits, uh, which is a surprise to the commentators, and the Rock comes out to. Uh, Car random membering promo again, not without his tight team title belt. Yeah, I mean he's so he's so over at this point in time. He gets a monster pop, even though he's already been out once not that long ago. Yeah, he comes out, and I think the, basically you can summarize this promo as basically the Rock's basically done with Bulldog now, and basically he wants whoever wins in the main event, he wants a shot at the WF title because. Fair enough, he, he's been cost multiple times by Bulldog, and now that he's got rid of the guy who's costing the title, he wants a clear shot at the at the title, and he doesn't care who he fights. And I was making my notes about this match, about this promo, and I basically didn't have much to write down, and then the look up at my screen, Rock's walking up the ramp, and then Triple H comes out and smacks him in the ribs with a sledgehammer. Yeah, um, it's... Uh sort of clever little angle and it sort of sets things up for a bit later on as well mm-hmm. yeah uh, and we keep getting shots coming back to the rock on like a stretcher and getting his ribs taped and basically refusing to go to a, host- a hospital when he probably should it's a real man baby face <laughs> uh, Scott you don't go to hospital you brush it off you walk it off you walk it off exactly but and uh, next up the guy who Rock's reluctantly teaming with at the moment, Mankind, who's facing Val Venus, 
in a match that all started because Valvina stole a sock and put it down his trousers. And Mankind's been trying to get it back. <laughs> I, don't think I'd, I don't think I'd want it back. <laughs> to, to be, yeah, no, Val, it's all right. You, you can keep it now, mate. Yeah. Like, I think this is going to be, the fact that you're fighting fully on pay-per-view, this may be part of a, the beginning of a serious push for Val Venus and put him towards the main event. But, like, no offence to Val Venus, you know, ambassador to the trans community that he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is not a main event guy, especially not with this gimmick, because I remember this, the uh, that Spadden I mentioned last week where Mankind actually had the rock with a chair during a match with Val Venus, which the Rock still won despite the fact they got hit with a chair. Uh, Val Venus, and of course that match, you watch him like, God, it, it becomes really obvious when he's in there with someone like the Rock, they're like, well, you do not belong here. Like, I would say one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, he's a he's a mid carder and and nothing more. But yeah, you could tell by um, this bit of a push he's getting that they they did hope to put him somewhere near the, the top of the card, but it, it was just never going to work out for him. Yeah, they try again with a more serious thing in uh, in two thousand when he even cuts his hair and all that. But there's still remnants of like the porn star gimmick there, and like. It's just one of the things that just never worked, and like I know the sports argument quickly like played itself out because like I remember on Forgiven when we reviewed it, you wasn't his, his usual sticking. I was like, God, you're a year into this gimmick and you're already running out of porn puns. Like he had a he had a limited shelf life with this gimmick. Yeah, he did really, but it was, it, it's a gimmick sort of for its time though. Didn't they like start? Didn't they sort of? rename him the Big Balboski or something rather than Val Venus, which isn't a better name to get you over. Yeah, well, here at this point when uh, Mankind's reaching out and he's struck to try and get the uh, try and get his, the sock back, the king keeps using, referencing the Big Balboski to basically as a nickname for Val's penis. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and something that annoys me during the snatches, I thought they're stressing like, the stipulation of the, uh, the main event being anything goes. And there are points in this match where I thought, does it really matter if you see that a match is anything goes or not? Because there are two chair spots here, which the referee completely ignores. Like, Val backdrops Mankind on a chair on the outside. And then I think it's like a leg sweep or something like that onto a chair on the inside. But like, oh, as long as you didn't actually pick up and smack him with it, it's okay. Despite the fact that Val, that like Gunn got DQ'd for doing a famous throw on the chair earlier on. So Val Venus doesn't get DQ'd for this. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's- comical how inconsistently these reveries seem to follow the rules I, I, I even put in my notes Teddy Long incompetent Teddy Long's back in the referee and like he's not on the ball at this point I'm also when we get to it I'm not, I'm not convinced the, the finish is a legal move either to be completely honest with you yeah I don't think there's much to talk about in this match at all so I think we can move on to the finish it's still like Val does go for the money shot, but Mankind rolls out of the way. Uh, and then Mankind pulls out the sock, uh, Mr. Socko, as Val pulls out Mr. Rocco. And they, Mankind locks in the mandible claw, just at the same time Val locks in the uh, testicular claw. <laughs> what am I even saying? I know. And, as I say, I mean, he's going down, you know, he's going downstairs. I'm not entirely convinced that should be a, a legal manoeuvre, to be perfectly honest. So they both lock in the claws, they both start to crumble to the floor, 
And basically, Val just falls on top of Mick Foley, and the referee counts to three, and Val Venus beats Mick Foley in nine minutes 18. Um, and that was pretty much the end of his big push, to be fair. Because, like, with Val, like, the testicular claw, if you really looked at it, could be a good move for him because, you know, his whole thing is around being a porn star and all that. So he's, a, he's, a, he's an expert on genitalia. But, like, it's a good, it's a good move. It's a good move if you're keeping him in the mid-card where he originally was, not if you're putting him over Mick Foley, because Mick Foley's been used a lot to help make a new star, and he's really helped like the Triple H, Edge, Randy Orton. But, like For every one person, it seems like for every person a legend puts over, there's always that one guy that they really thought was going to be big that is then you realise in hindsight, yeah, you really shouldn't have put that guy over. Like For Mick Foley, it's this guy. For like the Chris Jericho, it's the uh, it's Fandango. And yeah. for the Undertaker, for the Undertaker, it's Great Cali. What? No, Great Cali was excellent. I don't know what you mean. Yes, I clearly offended you with that statement. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mick Foley is probably going to quickly move on from Val Venus. Val's going to probably, I think, he's moving back to the European title scene very yeah. soon, which he probably should stay. And Mankind will go on for the next few weeks to continuously plug his book. He does, yeah. He's pretty much not seen about that book for a, a good month or so, I should say. Very much. Uh, a kind of confusing uh, stipulation here for uh, this next match. Uh, a four-corners elimination match, as I said before, is four tag team wrestlers who are with their tag team partners in a match, but they're not, in a tag, not tagging together. They're in a singles match where only one person can win because it's four corners, instead of being a match where all four men are leaving at the same time, no, two men have to be on the apron and be tagged in. Yeah, that's a, a bit confused by the fact that they uh, have to be tagged in. I, I don't know why they went down that road. I mean, I could feel my brain melting as I was trying to explain that to you. <laughs> it was uh, melting trying to watch it. My boy Kane comes out first, and then Xbox comes out, and we're clearly, we're not too far away from X-Pac Keat yet, but X-Pac comes out here to a, a really big bob. I, it took me by surprise how how much the how, how much the crowd reacted in favour of X-Pac. Yeah, he was really over, and he at this point in time, he, he's still a really good worker and a a, de- yeah, a decent enough character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the athletes come together, but have their weights read out separately by Howard Finkel weighing at 200 this pounds and 278 pounds respectively and then despite the fact that they're basically a singles match the accolades work as a tag team for the majority of this match but even when they get tagged in and they're opposite each other they don't give a fuck they just run at each other and just pop yeah. past I was going to mention they don't you know there's, there's nothing tentative when they have to face each other they just they just go for it hammer and tongs don't they yeah uh, G.I. even said this is a regular Saturday night after work for these two <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably a fair point uh, whereas on the opposite end Kane is very reluctant to fight X-Pot where X-Pot just keeps shoving him in the corner and he hits a spinning kick he's basically daring Kane like come on fight me I've, he's got something to really like prove here and then uh, X-Pot gets kind of beat down for most of this match by the accolades with Kane kind of reluctant to get involved and then he does come in and kind of make the save and Eventually, he has, he's seen enough. He grabs Xbox to the corner, tags himself in, so he then he can fight the accolades. And 
for a brief second I forgot this was elimination because when Kane chokeslams Bradshaw and then I get to the pin for a thing, I thought, wait, it's Kane won. And then I remembered, <laughs> oh, wait, it's elimination. And it was weird. This match goes on for a good while, but without any eliminations. And then when the eliminations happen, they happen very quickly one after the other. They do, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, because you have Kane eliminate Bradshaw, but it shows him. And then as Bradshaw's rolling around, Xbox gets up on the turnbuckle. Kane turns around to a flying spin kick from Xbox. Xbox pins Kane, which the commentators are shocked by, which then leaves Farouk and Xbox. Uh, Xbox kind of manages to survive against Farouk. Gets a DT on the outside. All back into the ring. Farouk comes off the top with the uh, the flying nothing, as well. It looks like I think it was maybe a shoulder tackle, but it just looks like he was just doing a random dive. And Xbox catches him with the X Factor and X Pack one in ten fifteen. Yeah, I thought it was a funny enough match. I'm not convinced that spinning kick should have been enough to put Kane away, though, mind you. And we saw him on SmackDown um, kick out of uh, a couple of the Acolytes finishing manoeuvres. And then in this match, he's put away by a spinning kick. I think, I think it's because he died off the top of maybe the mm. floor, or maybe where he caught him in the head with the kick that was maybe, I don't know. I mean, I think it was, I believe that more than the random the weird angle X factor that he caught for Rook with here. That's true. But I think it was a whole thing. X Park didn't want to prove that once they prove he wasn't the weak link and he managed to go in there against two got three guys, two of them are over two hundred pounds, another one well over three hundred pounds, so and he managed to survive. So uh good for X Park getting the win here. Yeah, definitely he survived the three much larger men than himself. Yeah, and I think rather than just being a kind of a cool down match before the main event I think it was a solid match to have in kind of the semi-main event position before we go into our uh, title match and by far the best video package of the night with in this one where you have uh, the music being Hell Yeah song taken off of uh, WF Music Volume 4 I believe which basically recaps everything that's happened since SummerSlam with Triple H taking out Austin Austin basically on repeat occasions basically taking out Triple H and basically hitting stunners. Like even at uh, Unforgiven, when Austin was forced to count the pin to give, which allowed Triple H to get the belt back, Austin immediately stunnered him after the match. And then you have also what happened on SmackDown with the snake bite and the, uh, the makeup. Uh, Austin's obviously clearly still over, despite the fact that he's, he's wrestling kind of infrequently. And he's, he's obviously making appearances every week, even if he's not wrestling. Triple H comes out and again, immediately dissolves into a brawl, but something I have an issue with here, I think it's just a case of, because Vince has an issue with Triple H at the minute, it's a no holds barred match, anything goes, but you're not allowed to bring that sledgehammer to the ring. Yeah, yeah, he comes out and uh, snatches the uh, sledgehammer off him, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, he comes out with the sledgehammer, same one he used against the Rock, but obviously, it's because of that, Triple H, he gets it taken off him, and then, Austin runs up the ramp and immediately this descends into a brawl where they're going all around the crowd. Austin's grabbing like crutches off a of fans that the fans give to him. Which <laughs> yeah. took me back to that scene from the wrestler where the guy gives Vicky Rourke a his prosthetic leg to use as a weapon. Uh, there's a point where they go into the crowd where there's so many people swarming around them you can't even see them. And I think a good bit of this uh Five at least the first five or so minutes of this match is all brawling, not really much happening. So 
Austin grabs this kind of camera with this big, like, uh, I don't know how you describe this, a big long camera, and just swings it around and it smacks Triple H in the yeah. face. Like the boom, I think they called it on commentary. Yeah, the boom can. Uh, yeah, they wrestle back to the barricade, and then the Rick Yola is there. Rick Yola, who recently got uh, let go from WWE in the, amongst the mass releases, which is quite sad. But uh, Mike Kyoto got uh, taken out because uh, Triple H gets launched into the referee over the barricade and they both come tumbling over. <laughs> we takes the referee, Austin takes them back into the ring, hits the stunner, but there's no referee there. He gets Mike Kyoto up and uh, Mike Kyoto gets up on the apron and uh, immediately gets knocked off the apron <laughs> yeah. and taken out for a second time. funny that was. I, I just put my notes down, poor Mike Kyoto, <laughs> because he <laughs> made use that pinball in this match. Uh, Triple H regains control, it hits a pedigree, it has the pin, El Hebner runs down one, two, Austin kicks out, and then you see Triple H look at uh, Hebner, and you can catch him saying, what I believe he's saying is, what the, where the fuck were you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, classic uh, case here, because Triple H regularly had his issues with El Hebner, where he shoves El Hebner out the ropes, Errol springs off the ropes, and basically comes back and she subs. Uh, Triple H back, which comes as again put down to that whole newfound authority thing. Austin uh, attacks Triple H. They go over in the commentary desk where pretty much similar to the opening of the match where Austin's basically in control for most of it until eventually Triple H attacks the knee of Austin because he's got both those uh, knee braces on and they mention, oh, Triple H took him out, took the legs out at SummerSlam so he's going back to it. So Triple H works over the knee for a little bit until Austin starts to fight back, he gets a steel chair and basically does to Triple H what he did to him at SummerSlam. So, for the most part, there's some good stuff in this match. Like, aside from, like, the whole regular brawling for, like, the start of the match, uh, I did think at some point there were bits where it was a bit samey, where it's usually like, the majority, like, the match, maybe, like, 70-odd percent of the match, Austin is on offense, kind of making Triple H look a bit weak, I think. Yeah, he does take a fair few shots of the from the chair though, uh, Triple H. To to be honest, he uh, he uh, he took all that quite well. But yeah, Austin clearly couldn't um, work a, a proper wrestling match, so they had to keep it to, to mainly brawling to to disguise the fact that Austin can't really go at this point in time. Yeah, uh, the crowd suddenly start to react, which means someone's coming down the ramp. And it's The Rock with his ribs taped up, slowly moving down the down the ramp with the sledgehammer in hand. And he accidentally hits Steve Austin with the sledgehammer, eh, taking it with the pedigree. And Trouble H takes advantage and pins Austin to retain the title in 21.55. Eh, immediately, as soon as he gets the pin, people start, th- people start throwing drinks at him. Yeah, they weren't happy, I think. A lot of people were expecting the Austin win. It wasn't very often in these days that um, Austin didn't come through and, um, and win the big matches. So it was, it was quite a surprise that he lost. But in hindsight, it wasn't when you look back and, and know um, how much sort of pain Austin must have been in and, and whatnot. Yeah, uh, it was the right decision to keep the belt on Triple H. He gets to the bat. Austin immediately chases him to the back. Uh, but Triple H, but China again, still associated with Triple H. China pushes Triple H towards a limousine and they both speed off. And Austin, it, the shoot ends with a closed shot of Austin looking pissed off that uh, Triple H has gotten away from him. 
an issue I have with Austin sometimes, especially when this era is, uh, it's part of the reason I, I prefer The Rock to Austin. And, uh, the Rock, as I said before, he'll work with Billy Gunn, he'll work with the Bulldog. The Rock didn't really care. He was happy to work with him. But Austin, always come out of Austin, but he's paranoia about his position. And I think that's why he puts off even until he does, because even though he's like in desperate need of like surgery and he can't wrestle a proper match at the moment, I think he's paranoid about losing his position when he goes away. And people don't talk a lot about like Austin when it comes to backstage politics, but like there's like a story like this of him not wanting to put Triple H over at SummerSlam. Uh, the whole story about him not wanting to work with Jeff Jarrett because of the personal issues he held against Jarrett from when he's still working his dad's promotion. Uh, I think it's kind of the thing we often wear. He's clearly in a bad way. They can't properly wrestle regularly, but he still has to have the last word. He still has to close the show by hitting the stunner and celebrating and getting the big pop at the end. And I think I think kind of often a bit often. Yeah, he's. Um, I, I'd agree with you. I'd, I'd always preferred The Rock, to be honest. Um, I was a fan of Austin, though. But yeah, um, back in 1999, you didn't really have the sort of inside sort of view that that we do nowadays. And obviously, at 19, I was a bit more, well, a lot more naive than I than I am now to the um, to the workings of the business. But yeah, definitely looking back, he didn't he didn't put Triple H over cleanly. They had to have outside interference, and even then, he had to, as you say, go out on top at the end of the pay per view, chasing Triple H off and hitting stunners and whatnot. And um, it was around this time he was already looking at um, turning heel because. Um, yeah, as you see, his paranoia. He was getting quite concerned that The Rock was um, primed to take his top babyface spot for him, and he already thought his character was wearing thin. So, even if he hadn't gone away for surgery, um, come back and turned at uh, WrestleMania 17, he was probably going to turn sometime um, in 2000. I don't know what the exact plan was, but I've heard a lot of rumours that he was already considering turning heel um, in the not too distant future at this point. Yeah, but that's how the show in. Uh, I'll just say, where would your thumb be for the show and can I give me your closing thoughts? Uh, I would give this a thumbs up. Um, yeah, overall, it's a good. It's a good show, actually. The opening two matches are absolute stinkers, but from on, from there on, we get the good keep housekeeping match, which is very good. The Holly's versus, um, yeah, well, that's not too bad of a match, really. I've seen far worse. Um, yeah, Rock and Bulldog's pretty forgettable, to be honest. Um, the ladder match is spectacular. Um, that's a Easily a five-star match in my book. Val Venus versus Mankind. It's, it's, in a, it's inoffensive. It's, you know, middle in. It's not terrible, terrible, but it's nothing special. Um, I enjoyed the, the elimination match, even if the rules were a bit convoluted with the uh, having to tag people in and only two being in the ring at the same time. But it was a fun, decent match. And the main event was okay. 
Um, as I say, a lot of bells and whistles because he had to disguise the fact that Steve Austin couldn't really go at this point, but it, it, it's a decent enough match. So yeah, it just about gets uh, gets a thumbs up for me if, for the tag team ladder match and the good housekeeping matches alone. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to go with something in the middle. Uh, obviously, a big thing about this is the good housekeeping match and the, the ladder match, the two highlights, but. I think for me, obviously, the first two matches hold it down, and even some of the matches that are somewhat decent aren't entirely all that memorable. The the four way, sorry, the, the fatal four way match uh, is better than it has any right to be. The main event wasn't entirely like a twenty minute brawl. It was going to be the worst match of the week, decent at ring bits in it. But again, like you had the bit with Austin and the. Obviously, I get why they were doing the the interference spot with the Rock getting involved because they were setting up the plan the planned uh, Austin v Rock v Triple H main event at Savarius, which will definitely happen because they're, they advertised it well, so it definitely will happen. Yeah, and it was advertised right up until the night, so there's no reason to think why it won't be that match, uh, Scott. Yeah, definitely not, but I think <laughs> I think it's something in the middle is the best I can probably give this, uh, this pay-per-view. I mean, it's not one of the worst ones I've ever watched, but even with that shitty ivory match, it's not one of the worst uh, pay-per-views I've ever watched, but it's definitely seen better, and I know it's, you've got to think about it in context of the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've probably got a bit of I've probably got a bit of rose tinted nostalgia towards it as well. To, to be fair, I mean, there's I know there's better stuff to come, so I'm I'm kind of hanging my hat on on that. But as for uh, all you guys, you can tell us what you thought about No Mercy '99 uh, at Rogue underscore Opinion. Uh, or on our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash Rogue Opinions 20, is it? Yes. Thank you. Uh, so make sure I got that right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Scott McLeod1996. You can find my other podcast, uh, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast, at SB Rambling. Hopefully, the issues that we've had recently have been sorted by the time you listen to this and we're able to get content up again. Uh, you can go back in our archives here at Rogue Opinions, listen to me and Carl talk about the Go Home episode of SmackDown. And also the other, the older retro review SmackDown episodes we did when it was me and Jimmy, as well as the Year Is, the Asian Series, the Naked Men podcast, Banter Munich podcast, and basically all sorts of stuff to get you through this tough time. Uh, Carl, anything else you want to say? Yeah, um, you can check out our Facebook group, which is uh, which is going now on our website, both on the face, um, Rogue Opinions 20. Um, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Rose underscore opinion. So check us out. You can find me at uh, Carlos underscore fire 89 on uh, Twitter and Instagram too. So yeah, check us out. And as Scott says, check out all our uh, back catalogue stuff as well. Very good. Uh, so tune in next time for the Rogue Retrospect interview where I will be joined by a new guest. And as I will be every couple of episodes, so stay tuned to see who else I get to follow me on this weird journey through 1999 and beyond. But until next time, we hope you're staying safe and we'll see you next time. Yes, stay safe and goodbye. Ready for a fight.
unhappy. Certain things I've seen.